takes over a thousand people, as I said earlier, in order to have Sunday mornings happen here at North Indy, and recognizing that there's a, a host of other ministries that take place throughout the course of the week and outside of the ministry. We don't want to take anything away from that. We wanted to take a Sunday to say particularly thank you to those of you who serve and have helped to make uh, Sundays happen over the last um, nine to, uh, to ten months. So I want to just acknowledge these groups of people. So those who serve in our children's and student ministries, our worship arts and production ministries, uh, hospitality and greeter services, safety and facilities, big adult or adult big group leaders, uh, special need leaders, um, prayer ministry leaders, finance and counting team, and our compassion team. So these are the people that uh, are part of our Sunday morning team, and then after we're done here today, there's a gift that we just want to say thank you to those of you who've served in this uh, area, and uh, you're a part of helping to make Sundays happen every single week. So we're th so thankful for you. First Corinthians 12 helps us to think through a theological vision of spiritual gifts, and Paul's aim in this particular letter is to help this church which was a little bit of a problem child for him, understand how their giftedness connects to the greater whole. In other words, how is it that they are the body of Christ and that through the use of individual gifts that they demonstrate the beauty, the significance, and the power of what it means to be the church? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, and what I want to help you to see is both the the principle that's in play, some of the dangers, and then also the goal of what Paul has in mind. But before we get into this text specifically, you need to know a little bit of the background of this church. The church at Corinth in modern-day Greece was a gifted body of believers. They had phenomenal talents. They were at the sort of the intersection of commerce, had a lot of financial capital, intellectual capital, and some pretty substantial spiritual gifts. But they also were known for their quarreling and their divisiveness. Interestingly, that their, their giftedness, frankly, got ahead of their godliness. And Paul writes to them in order to help them to sort of make some adjustments in their church experience. In particular, this church had kind of divided along particular party lines. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that there were people who were identifying that, I'm a follower of Paul. And others were saying, well, I'm a follower of Peter. Still others were saying, I'm a follower of Apollos. And then there were the extra spiritual people who were like, well, I follow Christ. And so what Paul is writing to them is concerned that this divisiveness is a mark of their immaturity. I want you to understand something, that it's pretty easy to be divisive. It's not hard to do it. All you need to do, here's the recipe, just become passionate about something get good at what you do, and then think that everybody is missing out if they're not part of your thing, and you're almost there. That's how division happens in the context of the church. It's the same recipe since the first century until now. But what happened in the church is that their divisiveness didn't stop there. It even affected how they viewed the spiritual gifts. Now, when I say the word spiritual gifts, you may not be familiar with what I mean by that. Let me define the term. A spiritual gift is any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So it's an ability 
in some cases, when those of you who are Christians, when you became a Christian, God took the abilities that you had before coming to Christ and he took them and he made them even more substantial or he infused in those giftings a particular quality about them now that they're used in a unique or different way. So some of you who are Christians could look at your previous life and go, I see how those giftings came and now how they're used in a, in a better way. Or for some of you, when you came to become a follower of Christ, you suddenly had new desires or new longings, and along with that, you had new abilities that you didn't have before. And so sometimes either of those dynamics can be in play. By definition, a spiritual gift is something empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in any ministry of the church. So if you have a spiritual gift, but you're not using it, one could argue you really don't have a spiritual gift because it's meant to be used. It's meant to be be put into practice for the service of the church. Now at Corinth, the problem was that some were placing an inappropriate emphasis on sort of the, the flashy gifts. Corinth was sort of enamored with the upfront, more dramatic, and the supernatural gifts that characterized the early church. And Paul needed to correct their thinking because it led to some wrong practice in the context of their local body of believers. Look at what he says in verse four. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice this language, how broad-based it is in the word same and all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So Paul is attempting sort of to level their understanding of spiritual gifts because it's gotten out of balance. And his desire is for them to see that spiritual gifts have been given, but for the purpose of the benefit of the entire body. So to make that point very clear, he dials into their gifts, their talents, their abilities in verses 12 through 27. So first, there is a principle here, and the principle is that individuals have been given gifts, but those gifts are meant to serve the broader body of Christ. So think of it this way, personally, I've been given gifts, but those gifts are not meant to serve me, those gifts are meant to serve the broader body of believers. You've been given gifts individually, and God has given you those gifts not for you to hoard or to use for your own benefit, but for you to use those to serve the broader body of the church. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one, now Paul's gonna make this point over and over and over, as the body is one and has many members, so he's talking here about the physical body, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now his point is going to become crystal clear as we walk through these other verses, but we gotta start with what is this principle that Paul is leaning into, and it's this. In whatever way that the Spirit has gifted people individually, it is for the purpose of a bigger picture reality. In other words, spiritual gifts have been given to individual people, but they are designed in order to benefit the entire body of Christ. So you've been given gifts, particular talents, abilities, ways that you think, things that you're just naturally good at, or things that when you do them, you see an unusual level of fruitfulness, where it's just, it's remarkable how effective the thing is that you're doing, and you've been given that gift, not for your own benefit, but rather in order for it to serve the ministry of the body of Christ. 
So to say that positively is that our individual gifts contribute to something bigger than ourselves. That's the amazing thing about spiritual gifts is we get to be a part of something beyond just our own individual concern. To state it bluntly, your spiritual gifts and your ministry are not about you. And the problem in Corinth, and always the problem in every church when spiritual gifts get off the rails, is when people begin to think that their gifting and their passion is just about them. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what you need to understand is this, that Christians are not perfect people. We're all broken. Every church is not a perfect place. But the church is meant to be a place where something unusual is seen, and that is this, that people who know that their sins have been forgiven because of their relationship with Jesus then use their lives in order to serve others in light of the way that Jesus has served us. So Christian communities are never perfect. There's always elements of brokenness that are built into them because we are not yet perfect. God is making us into something more. But what it means to be a Christian is that your sins have been forgiven and now everything about your life is designed to be done out of gratitude to God in the service of other people. That's why self-centered, prideful Christians, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't go together. It shouldn't be the case. And what Paul is calling this church to is to embrace what true Christianity is supposed to look like. So to make this clear, Paul uses the metaphor of a body, a physical body, and he says that in the same way that the various parts of the body work together, so the church needs individual members using their individual giftedness in order to connect to the whole. So you have to know what your role is, but also to know what your role is as it relates to the entire body of Christ. So let me give you an illustration. If you're a golfer, you're not golfing to lower your handicap. This is the Ryder Cup, okay? If you're a basketball player, it's knowing your role in the play that you may not get the ball, but you gotta get the ball to the good outside shooter. So your role is to run the pick to get the guy open. If you're in business and you're part of a business unit or a business team, it's wanting to manage the project together and to do it really well, not just to be noticed by your superiors. Or there's a number of kids that are in the room today. If you're a kid, if you're a child and you live at home, it means understanding that growing up means learning that socks don't pick up themselves. <laughs> and all moms said, this is called sock theology right here, all right? This is worth coming to church. Some moms looked at their husbands and said, this is a worth coming to the church today for this message, that socks and dishes and dog doo-doo in the yard, it doesn't pick up itself. Somebody's got to do it. I remember as a kid, my dad would always want to, um, did I just say doo-doo in church? You're allowed to say that, right? So you know what I mean? So but my dad always wanted the hose to be wrapped up in a circular fashion, nice and neat. And I always thought, what's the big deal? I mean, a hose is a hose. If, it's in a, if it looks like a pretzel or it's in a circle, it, runs the water all the same. And at some point in my lifetime, I shifted. I, I, I shifted, I, I like the hose now in a circular pattern, right? I don't know when that happened, but maybe when I owned the hose, how about that? Maybe that's what it was. But the fact of the matter is, hoses don't coil on their own. You're probably gonna show me some TV ad that does it on its own, okay, whatever. You know the point of what I'm saying here. The challenge is, if we're honest, that in our Western culture, we tend to value individualism. Go to other parts of the world, they, they tend to value the whole. 
You have a culture that's like in the East, based upon shame culture, where you're concerned about the group and not being look, looked, looking uh, bad in light of other people, where in our, our culture, it's all about the individual. For instance, some homeowners association has a problem, you can care less as long as it's not your homeowners association. Some crime happens in a neighborhood, it doesn't matter to you if it doesn't happen in your neighborhood. Or someone else's taxes go up, you're like, about time. Your taxes go up, you're like, what? Can't believe it. So this individualism thing is, is a part of our culture and it seeps into the church that we begin to think that in regards to spiritual gifts, it's just all about my particular ministry or my particular giftings or how the Lord is using me. And that was the issue in Corinth. Our bias is to be concerned about ourselves at the neglect of the implications of other people. And what Paul is saying here is we can't forget the connection to the whole. We have to keep leaning towards, away from this individualization, reminding ourselves about the importance of the body. Verse 12, he personalizes it, and he says this, all the members of the body, though many are one body, he says, so it is with Christ. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. So there's something about the way in which Jesus has designed the function of the Christian life to say something powerful about himself. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter three, or just look it up on your phone. Ephesians three, verses eight through 10. You see, God aims, in the context of the church, to not only do things to help care for people and to reach people with the gospel, but God aims, in the way in which the church does things, hear me, the way that the church does things to say something powerful to people who are outside the church. So for instance, if you're a first-time visitor here, here's what we want. When you walked in the door, we wanted you to sense something different about this community of people. We wanted you to sense love, we wanted you to sense hospitality. We wanted you to sense warmth because there's so much outside of what happens in the context of the church that doesn't feel that way. We want people to come into this church to go, man, this is, this is unique. I see people from all walks of life, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different gender, different ages. How does this work? That's what we want. And not just so that we can be a cool church or have lots of people, but because we think that says something really important about Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter three. Listen to this. This is verse eight. Paul says, to me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, which is really funny that he would say that. He wrote half the New Testament. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, here it comes. This is a really, really important verse so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God wants to do something through the church to say something, not only to the world, but notice, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Every time the church gathers, and every time that we love one another, and we use our gifts, and we use them in a way to serve each other and we demonstrate the love of Christ, we not only care for one another, we not only make a major statement to the world, but we say to the devil and all of his forces, Jesus is actually working in our midst. In the midst of divisiveness and rancor and all sorts of, uh, of, of, of negative behavior amongst people outside of the church, Paul has this vision that there's something different about how the church 
interacts with one another, and that begins with how we even view the things that we're good at and the way in which we are able to use those spiritual gifts. So Paul's vision is this unified, multifaceted church that speaks into all the realms of life. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 13, because it's not just about unity, it's not just about Jesus, it's also about the Spirit. He says this, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And then he gives illustrations of the oneness that is in contrast to the cultural divisions. He says Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Why is he choose Jews or Greeks, slaves, free? Because those were substantial cultural divisions. And in many cases, those were the categories of people who looked down on other people and treated them as though they were inferior. And what Paul is doing is identifying the equality of human beings when they come in the context of the body of Christ. In other words, the church ought to be a safe place from racial and ethnic division, from socioeconomic strata and and sort of one-upsmanship or supremacy mindset, that the church ought to be a place where people come and they just take a deep breath and go, oh, it's so good to be with my family. And the way in which we use our gifts is critical to that. The Holy Spirit baptizes all of them into one body of Christ equally. I don't have any more of the Spirit than any of you do. I have different gifts. You have different gifts. But we all share of the same Spirit. We may be gifted differently, but it doesn't mean that I have more of the Holy Spirit than what you do, that I have any more of Jesus than you do. As a result, when we come to church, there's a couple of things we just need to remind ourselves Number one, we need to remind ourselves regularly that I'm a part of something bigger and more important than myself. It's the church. One of the benefits of um, leaving a church is the realization of how quickly you can be replaced. The dirty little secret in pastoral world is, you know, when you leave a church, you kind of hope that church would tank, right? Like, I knew it was about me, see, it's good, right? That's a kind of a wicked thing to think, but, you know, it is what it is. You'd think the same thing, be honest. In my last church, when I left, it just kept going great. I was like, awesome. <laughs> and that's the way it's supposed to be. Next guy up, starts preaching, things are just fine. The fact of the matter is we all need to be, reg- we, we all need to be regularly reminded that this is bigger than all of us and that Jesus has lots of other gifted people he can put in that place. Be careful if you begin to think you're irreplaceable. They couldn't survive without me. Mm, That's a recipe for disaster. Secondly, it's really good to be reminded that I'm to reflect something bigger than what I can imagine, and that's Jesus. And that I've been empowered by something outside of myself, namely the Holy Spirit. So when we think about spiritual gifts, it's about serving the church because of who Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the principle. We're gifted individually, part of a broader body. Your gifts have been given in order to help serve the broader body of Christ. And that's primarily your local church. So I think your spiritual gifts need to be used primarily in the context of a local church. Doesn't mean you can't use those outside of the local church, but let me caution you about always using your gifts outside and never using them inside. So it's not an either or, but to be sure 
think your local church is the main place where your gifts need to be used in some way, fashion, or form. Now, there's two dangers. Let's talk about these. As is so common in the Bible, there are extremes that we need to avoid, and we find that Paul repeats the principle in verse 14. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. There's the principle. And then we have two ditches, which is undervaluing giftedness and then overvaluing giftedness. Those are two ditches. We undervalue or we overvalue. So here's the first one. We undervalue giftedness. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So interesting. Paul gives a voice, if you, if you would, to the foot, and he gives a voice to the ear. And what's interesting is the foot compares itself to the hand, and the ear compares itself to the eye. There's a number of commentators that think that this was done on Paul's part on purpose in order to help us understand something that is pretty common to our humanity. John Christosom, an early church father, he lived in the 300s, said that this is important. Here's why. Because we tend to envy, listen carefully, those whose gifts surpass us a little as opposed to those gifts who are patently different than ours. So in other words, we tend to compare ourselves not to somebody whose giftedness, we're like, I, I don't have any idea how they do that. We tend to compare ourselves to the other people within our own sort of gifting. And so Paul uses here the, the foot and hand because of the comparison. The, the, the foot is similar to the hand and the ear similar to the eye. We can tend to view ourselves through a lens of inferiority. Sometimes this happens because of pride. We, we want to be better than what we really are. Sometimes this happens because of immaturity. We just need a reminder. In fact, some of you, this message today could just be a real helpful recorrection. You know what? This is getting a little kind of off the rails. I need to be reminded about the whole picture and then there's other times, quite honestly, when people think this way because they've been treated unfairly or unkindly. They've been told that their gifts are inferior, or they've been told that they're inferior. You can imagine the Gentiles and the, the, the slaves certainly felt this way. All week long, they've been told that they were in, inferior, and then they come in the church. And Paul is saying, you've, you've been a beneficiary of the same spirit. Some of you may have gone to church Maybe you've come to this church. I pray not, but it may happen where you feel like, man, I'm not, I haven't come from the right group, I haven't come from the right school, I haven't come from the right background. And sometimes this inferiority can lead you to the conclusion that you don't belong in the church at all. And Paul would say, no way. No way. He wants us to push hard against this mindset. He asks the church, what would it look like if all of the church were eyes? He says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And then he says this in verse 18, this is really important. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Get this, you were not only, if you're a Christian, God not only chose you for salvation, but he also chose the gifts, the personality, the wiring that's a part of who you are. That's important to know because I think many of us at times struggle 
with not being content or happy or sometimes frustrated with the way that God made us. Have you had that happen? I have, that I see the way that God's wired somebody else and I see how I'm wired and I think, I wish I wasn't wired this way. I wish I didn't think this way. I wish this wasn't my demeanor. I wish this wasn't the way that I'm wired and yet the reality is I have to be the best. This sort of sounds like a, a... like a childhood rhyme or a, like a Sesame Street sort of thing. I gotta be the best me that I can be, okay? What I mean by that is I gotta take the gifts that God's given me and I have to find how do I sanctify the person that God has made me. And you need to think about the way in which God needs to sanctify you. Instead of undervaluing your giftedness, you need to realize God's gifted you the way that he has. Instead of diminishing your giftedness out of a sense of either inferiority or, in some cases, a false sense of pride. Sometimes people are like, no, I can't do that. And you're, you're not humble. You're actually proud because you don't want to risk failure. Instead of undervaluing our gifts, we're to realize that God is the one who's given me these gifts, and I need to find ways to use them. So be careful not to fall into the undervaluing ditch. On the other side of the equation is the overvaluing particular gifts. Notice what Paul says here in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So notice Paul's words here, very specifically. It's not that the hand doesn't acknowledge or the the eye doesn't acknowledge the hand's presence, the eye knows that the hand is there, but instead he says, I have no need of you. So the idea here is not a lack of acknowledgement of the reality of this part of the body contributing, but what it's doing is it's evaluating the need and the ministry of a part of the body and saying, yeah, I know you're there, but you're really not as needed. Here's how it happens. It happens, in the case of the eye, that it becomes enamored with seeing. The eye sees. It loves what it sees. It loves how it can see. And it loves what it learns by what it sees. It has a passion for seeing. And it begins to believe that all of life exists by seeing things. And the singular focus causes it to believe that it can make it all by itself. Or then it begins to consider other parts of the body as less important. Have you seen this in the context of the church? You ever felt this? You know, no one sets out to overvalue their giftedness or their ministry area, but here's what happens. They just become so passionate about what value they add. They become passionate about lives that are being changed. They become passionate about the benefit to the body that they just begin to act as though the other parts of the body aren't needed. And when this happens, we fail to emphasize the interconnectedness of the entire body. Some commentators think that Paul is playing off of a familiar first century fable. You know Aesop's fable? There was a fable during Paul's day in the first century called the body and the belly. Here's how it went. The members of the body once rebelled against the belly, who, they said, led an idle, lazy life at their expense. 
the hands declared that they would not again lift a crust even to keep him from starving. The mouth said that it would not take in a bit more food. The legs, that it would not carry him about any longer, and so on with the others. And the belly quietly allowed them to follow their own courses, well knowing that they would all soon come to their senses, as indeed they did, when for want of blood and nourishment supplied from the stomach, they found themselves fast becoming mere skin and bone. You get the point. Let me quote a 19th century theologian, William Barclay, who said this, whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of real Christian work is gone. So when it comes to the givenness of the body, I want you to be aware of two dangers. On the first, be careful that you don't undervalue the gifts that God has given you. But secondly, if your gifting is more public, more spotlighted, more affirmed, now friend, be careful that it doesn't become intoxicating. Watch out, watch out if your gifting starts to become your identity. If you find yourself starting to become territorial or possessive. Watch out for the ditches of undervaluing or overvaluing giftedness. Then finally, here's the goal. What is Paul shooting toward? What is the target? Oh, look at what he says. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So what does it mean, indispensable? It means this, that there are parts of your body that you don't think are indispensable until you injure them, and then you know how indispensable they really are. For instance, a few, uh, a year or so ago, I was running in Eagle Creek Park, and I, I, I stubbed my big toe on a root, or root, depending on what part of the country you're from, and as a result, I found myself skidding along the path. I got up, thought I was okay, but I did something bad to my toe. And for the next, like, three weeks, it was amazing how much I noticed my big toe. Like, every time I take a step, oh, there it is. I'd press on the gas pedal, oh, there it is. I'd lay in bed, and just the way the covers were laying on my toe, like, ah, oh, it hurts, right? Or maybe you've had it before in the wintertime where you get, like, splits on your fingers, you get those? A little solution, put super glue in it and hold it. That works really well. That's how I solve it. But if, um, this is a little free medical advice for me today, so... <laughs> I'm sure if that's okay or poisonous or not, but it works. Anyway, so <laughs> you're typing along, you got a split in your finger, and like that index finger, you don't realize how hard you hit or how often you, like, oh, you type, oh, oh, because you're hitting it every single time. What Paul says is there are indispensable parts that we don't realize how important they are, but they really are essential. Then he says in verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. So for instance, your hands are more honorable than your feet, right? If you walked in with gloves on, with no shoes on and bare feet, people are like, what's going on? Right? Or just look in your closet. Do you have more shoes or do you have more gloves? Men, do you have more shoes or do you have more gloves? We have more shoes. Why? Paul says because we cover the parts of the body and by covering them, we adorn them in different ways, giving them honor. That's his, that's his point. Verse 24, 
says, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. There's the goal right there to understand, look, I have a different role, a different ministry, a different gifting, but it doesn't mean that I'm more important. Let's just put this on the record. I'm here teaching, and all of you, most of you are listening. Not all of you are listening, but most of you are listening. Not all of you are listening. Thank you very much. But it doesn't mean that somehow I'm better because I'm teaching and you're listening. If we were to invert the the conversation about something else, you'd be teaching and I'd be listening. We have the same value. And what Paul is saying is the design of the spiritual gifts is so that the body can care for one another. Such that, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The idea is there's this collective ministry that's happening in the body of Christ that you can't find anywhere else. That the body cares for one another and loves on one another and uses their giftedness together such that the body of Christ functions. But before the service, we have this gathering of all of the people who are involved in Sunday morning uh, worship. And it's remarkable, the diversity of the giftedness. And in the context of that meeting this morning, I asked them, what would happen if you were in charge of the service? What would go well and what wouldn't? And I'll tell you what, if I was, like, if I was it today, we'd have like an hour and a half of a sermon. You wouldn't have a whole lot else. You, wouldn't, you don't want me playing the trombone, you know? That's a guitar, I know. You don't want me doing lights. You don't want me, you know, ministering to children. I can do it, but it's going to be a little scary, right? You, you need the body of Christ in order to have the function of what it means for the body of Christ to express itself in a way that images the person and work of Jesus, And that's why Paul ends in verse 27. Now he says, look at this. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So when you use your gifts, listen, you are declaring that you have benefited of the spoils of Christ's victory. And one of the ways that we express our affection for Jesus and our fidelity to the gospel is by using our gifts. And so to those of you who use your gifts on Sunday or all throughout the week, Those of you who are using the spiritual gifts that God has given you, keep using them because your giftedness is important for the building up of this body and every body of believers. And to those of you who have taken your gifts and for whatever reason, maybe you were burnt, maybe you just don't know what to do, maybe you're just super busy, you've set your gifts on the sidelines, can I just remind you, there are people that God wants to reach through you. There There are ministry pieces that you contribute to that won't happen if your gifts are on the sidelines. As we serve one another, and as we serve with each other, we demonstrate to the world the power and the glorious nature of who Jesus is. That we're one body with many members. Here's how I want to end this morning. If you're in this room and you serve on our Sunday morning ministry team, and I'm not diminishing any other area of uh, ministry by saying that, but if you serve on our Sunday morning ministry team in the last year, so that would be children's and students, worship and production, hospitality and guests, safety facilities, uh, big group leaders, special needs leaders, prayer ministry leaders, finance accounting team, and compassion team, I want you to stand because I want to pray and thank God for you as we close. So stand right now. Stand right now. Thank you. Wow. 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 Amen.
That is just so amazing, the way in which God uses all of your gift in this. So thank you, thank you for serving our church. Let's pray. Father, for these folks who are standing today, um, we just thank you for the way that you've, you've uniquely gifted them and how, Lord, their gifts have been used here on Sunday mornings. And we thank you that the regular gathering of your people is so essential to the lifeblood of people's souls and to the advancement of the kingdom of Christ in this city. And we just thank you that you saved those people who are standing, that any one of them is a believer, is a miracle, and then that you would put giftings in them so that they could have impact in the lives of people. It's just incredible. So we, we thank you that they have used their gifts in this last year. I pray that you would richly bless them for all the time they donated, for the gaps that have been created because of their investment in the lives of other people. And God, we thank you that this um, collective service together creates something that powerfully communicates who you are, Jesus, and we want to see more of that. So give us eyes to see uh, hurting and needy people around us, even today, and help our fellowship, even between this service and the next, to be one that is rich and full of caring for one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.